We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Yeah, we'll keep everybody posted on Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Miami and the Jets were underway as New England decided to defer after winning the toss. And here's Hines on the run back, breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield. And down the sideline he goes. This is storybook. An opening kickoff return for Tamar Hamlin. And this place is absolutely going wild. Buffalo could fall back to the three if the Bills lose here. Cincinnati goes on to a win, which you might expect. Baltimore shorthanded. Here comes Hines again. Oh my goodness! Can he do it twice? Is this for real? Can you believe it? Even a little Dion strut to the end zone. 101 yards. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Tony Romo, Jim Nance, CBS Sports, electric, electric kick returns. Chris, two. Yeah, one, two. I wish I could have been there. Oh, Chris, the first one was towards our end zone. Obviously. Were you there? Yes. All right. Sometimes you don't make it in. Sitting in my seat. Me and Ethan Tweedy just hugging each other. I'm hugging Dan Kimball. Some it was it was a whole thing. We're gonna get into it, but what a moment. Like I got goosebumps just hearing the call again. It was wild. Chris, this is our week 18 recap podcast. The Buffalo Bills 35, the Patriots 23. Stats of the game. Mac Jones, 26 of 40 for 243. Three touchdowns, three interceptions, one sack, 
a 75.3 rating. Josh Allen, 19 of 31, 254, three touchdowns, one pick, two sacks, a 106.1 rating. It's funny because Nance, before their first drive, a graphic on CBS Sports flies across the screen and talks about how turnover-free Mac Jones has been since the like the start of November. And then we hang a th- we hang three on him. <laughs> wide receiver Devontae Parker, six of seven, 79 yards, two touchdowns to lead all Patriots wide receivers. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, seven to 10, 104, one tutty. James Cook, nine carries, 45 yards, 11 total touches, led all Bills running backs in yards and snaps. Wide receiver John Brown, seven snaps, lowest of all Bills skill players, one catch on one target for 42 yards. Did you hear what everybody's favorite pundit said about him? Oh, my God. Well, I I know that they showed the graphic on TV of Isaiah Hodgins, and then I saw that Skip Bayless was like, this this young guy, he's got a bright future ahead of him. And whatever. Yeah. He's fucking a, 30. He's called him a kid. He's fucking 30. He's been around the universe. This is why they need to take that mic. Like, Shannon Sharp needs to just... You know what needs to be the end of Undisputed? Steel Cage Deathmatch. Yeah. Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless. Kill him on TV. Make make it funny, right? Like, make a bit out of it. Winner gets to take the lead of the show. Loser has to go home. Don't they do that in WWF? Yeah. Like, if you lose, you're fired? Yeah, they do that in a pink slip match. All right. Let's let's see that. That's far more entertaining than anything that Blowhard has to say. Third down conversion percentage. Buffalo, 7 to 12, 58%. New England, 4 of 13 for 30. The Patriots running backs, 19 rushes, 107 yards. No touchdowns and just five combined first downs. Cornerback Teron Johnson, four run stops, 31 yards on nine targets allowed. Running back Naheem Himes, two kickoff return touchdowns in the same game for the first time in team history. We're going to start this day off. We're going to start at the very beginning. Chris, one of the biggest tailgates we've thrown in terms of attendance. Easily 50-something people there. Maybe. I, I don't know. Just people coming, people going, people stopping by to say hi. You had people like uh, you had people like Bob Everly, who honestly, like, Chris, you want to talk about handy motherfuckers? This guy shows up with a homemade heater that's about nine, ten feet tall. And it's literally just a propane canister that he welded. The, he was like, oh, I was drinking in the garage one day and was like, I bet you I could turn that into a heater. So he welded some legs on it. Cut the face of it off with the torch, put a hinge on it, turned it into a wood-burning stove with a big galvanized steel pipe on it to to divert the smoke. Neither one of us are that talented. No. It was hilarious. And then he's talking about modifications. Like, it was fun getting to see him and his wife. You look at, like, you just get to see a lot of people. Ethan Tweedy drove up from Utica and sat with us. Uh, Cam Calandra from... uh, Cam came up from Lockport, or came down, I guess, 
if you're talking about geographically, and spent the whole day cooking in the parking lot. Dozens of other people came and went. And it was just such a fun atmosphere. Like, I got out there early in the morning, and Ethan had actually beaten me to the parking spot. That's how you knew. That's how you knew it was going to be a good day. I show up at 6.30. It's dead silent out there. It's just me and Ethan, and I'm just, like, drinking my coffee. And we're talking about it, and I'm trying to explain to him, like, this is what I love about this. This moment right here. We're out here in the dark. There's nothing to do. There's no rush to set up. A, Chris, there's no rush to set up equipment. I can just stand here, watch the stadium and just the glow of it, and just take it in and think about how lucky I am to be standing here right now. Then the day happens. We get to share it with everybody we know. All of these people show up. It, it's a great time. Like If you had stumbled into our tailgate, you'd have never known that we were pre-gaming for a contest at the, like at the end of the season with nothing to gain from a victory other than just a little bit of certainty in the seating. It was, it was a great morning that turned into a great day. Me, Potter, his fiance, Ethan, we all make our way into the, into the stadium. We get settled in, and we're treated to one of the best starts to a football game ever. And the day happens, we like just, everything was perfect. And then as I leave, Chris, I'm going to put the horse you know, before the cart, but as we're leaving, Cam is still out there in the parking lot. Smoking a pork shoulder <laughs> on the grill. He's hanging out with his girlfriend. They have their own adventures. We talk. So now we're sitting around drinking beer, talking about what they've done all day. He sends me home with a pulled pork sandwich that he smoked there in the parking lot. And as I'm pulling out, I just keep thinking to myself, like, not only have I cultivated one of the best group of people around, like, our listeners will never have the biggest audience in the entire world. But the people that we've gotten to know through this are the best people. Yeah. And I love them for that. And I love that I was able to share what this day was with all of you guys. It really made what came out of it more special than it would have been any other way. So, Chris, at the top of the show, we heard the audio. Nance and Romo. Hines. I'm sitting in my seat. We had literally just got, and in fact, I don't even think we sat. I think we had just, we, we got there. We're ready because as we walked in, they had come out, like as we were standing in line, like just about to go through the till, the fireworks go off where it's like, oh, there it is. The team ran out the tunnel. So we, we got up to our seats in time for the national anthem. And you go, okay, here we go. I don't know who won or the one that kicked off the, the coin flip. And they come down there and you see them line up for this kick and you watch it happen. And there's a part of you that goes, he's not going to bend that. And then your mind just goes blank. Chris, how long has it been since we had a return touchdown? It's three years and three months. <laughs> Could you now, now when you rewatched it, because I don't think we're no, watching I, it live. I was watching that live. I got a break at one o'clock. So, could you hear the sound of the crowd on TV? Oh yeah. The reaction in the stands was out of control. Like it was an explosion. 
It was emotion. It was everything. Like that moment was just a release of everything that Bills fans had been feeling all week long. There's a lady at like, I'm hugging Ethan there. I'm hugging Dan. Like I said, I think I kissed Dan's cheek. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. He laughed because he's not afraid of, you know, he's not afraid of human affection. Chris, there's a lady in front of us who just burst into tears and started hugging everybody. And she's just like, I'm just so happy right now. And that's it. Those are the only qualifiers she could give it. I'm so happy right now. After the week that we all had, that moment, it was special. Like, I'm going to hang on to that for a long time. That play was the most timely play. Like, I put it up there with the throw from, uh, from Andy Dalton, the Tyler Boyd, to put us into the playoffs. Yeah. You want to talk about timely plays when we as a fan base needed it most? And we probably didn't even know we needed it until it happened. And I I think one of the broader takeaways I have from that is I looked like now I'm go I go home and I know what my experience and my emotions were. And I rewatched the game for research and podcast purposes. And I see Sean McDermott in the aftermath of that. And he's standing there, tears in his eyes. He's got his one finger up going, guys, one, one kicking team gets out there. But you could see him fighting the emotions. Like that guy was going through it. So if he's getting emotional, can't Drew Gear? Yeah, he can. Can't the listeners at home? And the players had emotion to their game. Like, like, first of all, play in the third quarter. Possession after the second Hines return touchdown, where Mac Jones throws an off-target pass to Tyquan Thornton. The throw was behind him, but only because he didn't want to lead him into contact. He was like, oh boy, I'm going to throw it behind you so you slow down because I don't want to get you killed. And then he still gets absolutely smoked by Teron Johnson. Just, he levels him anyway. And then whoever's manning the music in the stadium, like they were on point because DMX is where the hood at, just starts blaring through the speakers. And like the Patriots are walking off the field on fourth and seven and the crowd is just fucking incensed. They're wild. And at that point, I have to imagine that it felt pretty oppressive for an opposing team inside that building. But that kick return, and then the second one, there was absolutely no chance the Patriots were going to be able to match the Bills or the crowd or the emotion of the moment for four straight quarters. And I think you could see it sink in right then and there. Like, it was just, it was a wild day. Now, Chris, your experience watching the game. Well, I was at work. I got to watch, I'd say 70% of the game. I, I did have some. I Guys, did, I want you to hear I, this. He gets paid to watch football. Not all of it. I, I got to watch. Oh, poor baby. 70% of the game, you know. Things happening at work, changeovers, 
with what I do and waiting for things or things breaking, you know. I got to watch like 70% of the... I think I saw both kickoff returns as they happened. I haven't been able to rewatch games at all because they they migrated away from Game Pass to what it was NFL Plus. Yep. So like I don't have our login or I haven't attempted to log into it. To, say you literally could see. just text me. The way you text me to complain oh, yeah. about I can, everything. Yeah, else. I can text you and then you'll text me back. Well, you can text my mm-hmm. wife. Did I, you explain this to my wife on Sunday? Yeah, I did. So like I after work, I I went to Drews. We have new cameras in the studio. We're testing them out right now as we do this podcast. And I texted you, hey, coming after work to get that camera so I can uh, play around with it, make sure it works. Also, text your wife, hey, coming over to get that camera. And then I walk in. And you're like, oh, what are you doing here? Well, I texted you like three hours ago. Yeah. And I made I got off I get off work at seven. So I'm at I, home. I don't have my phone. So I know that I'm texting you after the game, and before I get there, there's know that w- there's that window where you're driving home, so you should see it because I know I know you love to drive home and be on your phone at the same time. I've seen it. I'll tell you this: I have a hilarious story about me driving home. You people will never hear it unless you come out and have a beer with me. I'm more than happy to tell it, though, because I'm not ashamed of anything. It's a really funny story. So here's what I'll say, Chris. I go home. I have two kids. I don't give a fuck what happens to my phone. I drop. I literally, I, I empty my pockets when I walk through the door, and I might not see it again for two hours. What was great was that potter and alexis were there and then i immediately lectured them like make sure all your friends have his <laughs> phone, number phone number and vice versa for situations like this because i'm coming over i text drew he didn't respond text his wife wife knows and she was like oh yeah i told him that you were coming over oh yeah this is the the part where uh your wife tells us that you don't listen to her which is obvious <laughs> How many times do we have to go through that? Like, don't watch like, my phone. No. Don't listen to my wife. No, here. This is a good one. Larissa can completely back this one up. Where you're watching either like uh, maybe it's a Sunday night football game, Monday night football game, or a Sabres game, and then like uh, a local commercial will come on for like some food, and she'll be like, "Hey, we should go check out this restaurant." And then the next cycle of commercials, eight minutes later, same commercial plays, and you go, "Hey, we should." Uh, you want to go to there, French's Pub? I literally said that last commercial break. I've heard it a million times from Larissa. I'm not going to lie. Apparently, I do this thing where I take her ideas, and somewhere yeah. in my head, I morph them oh, into my own. Oh, you 100% do that. And, I, and then I just take credit for them. I'm just like, nope, I totally came up with that. I'm so smart. That restaurant seems awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the worst. You know who's not the worst is the Buffalo Bills because they beat the New England Patriots. Let's talk about it a little bit. So, obviously, the kick return set the tone for the day. Things weren't all roses, right? Like everybody else, I found myself grumbling a little bit in the stands about the perceived success of the Patriots throwing the football. And it wasn't a gorgeous day for the Bills' defense considering they gave up 23 points. And I get it if you're, like... Watching the game at home, yelling about how we're getting carved up. I think who made the joke in our group chat? I have no Was idea. It Mark, he's like, he goes, here comes Drew going, we're getting carved up. 
by the Mac Jones Patriots. We're just letting them have it right before the inevitable interception. Oh, I'm <laughs> Do you remember that video? Yeah. Well, I looked at it as, hey, we needed those kickoff returns because without them, we lose. Here's what I know. There were a lot of plays where it seemed like they had the perfect call to resolve whatever we were aligned in on defense. The reality is that this game was kind of like a rock-paper-scissors matchup. And considering the Patriots finally called a decent game from an offensive play-calling standpoint, it wasn't going to be easy given the kind of nothing-to-lose mentality the Patriots brought to the table. I mean, it was legitimately do-or-die for them. And they pulled out a passing attack that no one's seen in weeks from them. By and large, the thing Christian Simonelli has been complaining about over at our AFC's Roundup podcast for the better part of the entire season. What are we, three and a half months in now? Something like that, yeah. They keep trying this screen game. Oh, they're going to screen this team to death. This is the first game in a while where they came out and just said heavy play action. That's what we're going to do. We're going to play action pass and then try to go down the field. So first of all, they flipped, like, people coach, people talk about coaches and what they're, like, oh, how do you design a defensive game plan? Well, you look at film and tendencies. If you look at a team that is known for just trying to throw a ton of screen passes and all of a sudden they come out and go vertical on you, yeah, that'll probably catch you. It'll probably take a couple quarters for you to really get aligned really get on the same page as what they're trying to do. I give the Patriots credit. And at the same time, it is interesting when you look at the numbers. Off play action, Mac Jones goes 9 for 9, 92 yards and a touchdown. No play action. 17 for 31. So just over 50%. 152, two touchdowns, but all three of his interceptions. 4.9 yards per attempt. That's pretty terrible, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, the Patriots decided to push the ball down the field more, and the Bills didn't game plan for that. I mean, it's a pretty gross disparity when you think about the statistical. Like, hey, if you, they didn't give him help in a play-action capacity, his numbers sucked. If they didn't hold our linebackers with play-action... They got almost no traction, and that's where our defense came up with all of its takeaways that basically sank the Patriots' playoff hopes. And then there's the safety usage. Dean Marlowe and Jordan Poyer saw basically the same snap breakdowns, and Anthony Prohaska over at Cover 1 had a good breakdown of their usage. He goes, Dean Marlowe, Jordan Poyer, constantly spinning down into the box. Dean Marlowe, they... Played 100% of the snaps. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Him, him and Poyer played 100% of all defensive snaps. They each played more than 30 of legitimate safety off the ball. They then broke down and went 18 in the box, 20 in the box. Poyer got moved around between slot to the D-line, out wide, covering wide receivers. But basically... They used one of their safeties down in the tackle box on a rotational basis 55% of the time. That means you're only leaving one safety back to help the cornerbacks and linebackers, just in terms of zone responsibilities and coverage, 
and you gave the opposing quarterback more one-on-one matchups. So if you could freeze one of those linebackers in that situation where you went single high, it makes sense that he's probably complete, completing more passes. And I guess that's it, right? Like, I have a note in my phone. From the stands, I'm watching these plays happen, and I go, the Bills are really struggling to pass one wide receiver off to the other in zone, especially in play-action phases. And that's just something I observed half in the bag, standing in the stands. And that makes sense if your primary responsibility is the running backs and not the pass. You get hit with play action and you have to reset your eyes and you're moving your feet late. So when you look at the way those perfect calls, I think I tweeted about it during the game. It starts to make a little more sense, especially when you consider the alignment and the makeup of the Bills primary nickel defense. The Bills came into this game with a plan to essentially not let the run or the running backs beat them. It was the the responsibility from defensive line to linebackers to secondary, and it showed when you not only look at it in terms of the numbers it produced, but then some of the finer metrics. Like according to NFL Next Gen Stats, Damian Harris saw the bulk of New England's carries against the Bills. Chris, how many runs do you think he had against what qualify as heavy boxes? Uh, 10 the number was zero the Bills played their traditional nickel and yet you look at how they used Teron Johnson look, look at his stats four solo run stops for a nickel cornerback is wild and then you think about how post snap they spin a safety down into the box That doesn't fit into the, you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't get called a run against a heavy box, but the onus was there. We are going to not let these running backs beat us. Their front seven, like, like, look, Johnson was a machine. I want to talk about that for a second. Run stops galore, big hits, no air yards or yards after the catch allowed. Literally one yards after the catch per reception. That's insane. Considering, like, this is NFL football. This isn't college. You're not playing some Juco horse shit. That team had no idea what to do with Teron Johnson. They didn't. And then the front seven posted 16 individual run stops, which is a pretty impressive number, and actually dwarfed the number of quarterback pressures they had. They had 16 solo run stops, 12 pressures. The byproduct is... You limited the Patriots running backs to just 102 yards and kept them from being able to take over the game, which put the pressure of winning this football game squarely on the worst part of the Patriots offense to win the day. And as we all saw down the stretch in the fourth quarter, they've got a long way to go in developing that unit. Like Mac Jones, like Chris, I think that this game went a long way in terms of salvaging Mac Jones. He looked like a serviceable quarterback that could probably beat most teams that don't have Josh Allen, right? Yeah. He kind of went in terms of yardage, or at least early on, looked like he was going toe-to-toe with Josh Allen. But over the course of four quarters, there's not many people who can do that. He needs more help from the coordinator. He needs more help at the skill positions. If they want to run screens, they should take a look at Chan Gailey. Yeah, hire him. Guys. Bring him in as your offensive coordinator. I promise you it's a good idea. And then, like, that's the thing. Like, once... 
like once the Bills had the lead and time got short, they finally just committed whole hog to the pass, which allowed the Bills to close the game out with back-to-back interceptions. That Matt Milano interception in the end zone, do you remember seeing it? Yep. I was in the break room watching that. Potter was yelling at me while it happened. That was in the end zone? Yep. In our end zone? And he goes, why isn't he running? Why is he taking the knee? And it's like, oh, no, he's not taking a knee, Potter. He's an athlete. He just jumped up and snagged a ball, and it might take a second for him to collect himself before he runs to the 40. Yeah, I I think I was talking to somebody at work about that. It was like, why don't you take a knee? I'm like, well, he probably paused, saw that he had some green in front of him, and uh, as long as he could get it out to at least the 25, go ahead and do it, and he made it to the 40. Good on him. In fact... So we talk about Potter taking the L on the Matt Milano like interception return thing. I got another funny story that Ethan Tweedy sent me because I wasn't there for it. I went to take a piss and had to watch the Stefan Diggs touchdown down the sideline. Yep. I had to watch that from the concourse because I knew I wasn't going to make it to my seat before the next snap. And I was like, well, I'll wait for a long stoppage and then I'll go back. He messages me and says, funny story on the touchdown pass to Diggs when you were in the bathroom. On that play, Potter was looking at McKenzie and in the middle of the play goes, ah, fuck, if he only ran a better route. And then the touchdown strike to Diggs happens and for about 10 seconds, he looked dumbstruck at the field and then just turns to me and shrugs and goes, I guess that works. <laughs> He's, he, goes, it's, he goes, it's just hilarious to me that he was worried about number six running the quote unquote wrong route. Oh, yeah? Is that the route where you run into Gabe Davis? We have a quarterback who it doesn't matter. Like, he's an eraser. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Chris, this game from Josh Allen was just like... This is what we expect, right? People can talk about good games, bad games. At this point in Josh Allen's career, we expect him to come out and have these sorts of games, correct? Mm-hmm. Even with the mistakes, that interception, that if I want to be picky, right? I was mad about it in the moment. A lot of us were. He throws that pick right before half, and everyone goes, here goes Josh being fucking. Go rewatch the game. Especially if you were one of the idiots in the stands yelling with me. Go rewatch the game and see how, and I, and I understand why they didn't throw the flag. Because it does look like Matt Judon kind of fell. Yeah. 
He had ra- he had some uh, activity around his feet. He wraps around the tackle. Now, 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 Chris, what's the rule? Like knees or below, off limits. Yeah, while a quarterback's in the pocket. Yep. Should have probably drawn a flag, but it didn't. And I think the reason, and it's almost a good non-call because it's not like he did it intentionally. Like I, I'm one of those guys. I try to referee based on intent, and I say to myself, if Matt Judon looks like he's falling. Just because he got caught in the wash and he's tripping and falling over, you shouldn't give him a 15-yard roughing the passer flag because he hit my quarterback in the ankles that caused an interception. But that's kind of what happened. And realistically, isn't it a violation of the rule? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll let somebody else debate that. I'm not mad about it, but I understand now why the pick got thrown. And you're right. If you're a... like. Chris, what, what did they say? Like, into the third quarter with no flags. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, if you were listening to the game, Nance mentioned that. <laughs> right before. The play before we right got before our first, first flag. flag. It was just funny. Like, it was just funny how all that happened, and it was interesting watching it versus going back and re-watching it. I also, like, if there's a takeaway that I want to kind of highlight it's that some of the new and old new faces really got some flash in this game. It's one of the things I kept thinking about as I was driving home. The Bills' big guns were all flashing, but it was some of the new and young faces that I was not only impressed by, but realized that they may have all made a difference in this one. Obviously, the name everyone wants to point out is Naheem Himes. Like, rightfully so. I'm not going to diminish his day. But that's low-hanging fruit when you look at the contribution you got from guys who aren't exactly household names, like in terms of who we've talked about through 18 weeks. First of all, Khalil Shakir. Really, really nice rep. Got a chance to show you what he brings to this offense in one single catch. Get to show off his 4-4 speed, low center of gravity, and his route running all in one shot. He goes down the field, turns around, makes himself available to the... He like basically avoids him, himself getting turned by the cornerback, makes himself available to the quarterback, gets the ball, bounces off defensive contact in a really shitty tackle attempt by, I think it was Jabril Peppers, I think came in and tried to get that. Turns up field, but like, guy, Chris, I sometimes watch players who like, I caught the ball... Now I'm going to turn and try to run, and they take an angle, right? Because they're like, well, I still don't want to get hit. Mm-hmm. Not Shakir. Shakir literally was just like, fuck it. I'm going to run straight up the field as fast as I can. I'm going to get tackled again. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's the type of stuff, right? Like that play, his 16 yards after the catch set up the subsequent John Brown 42-yarder on his only target of the day. In the playoffs, this team is going to have a lot of matchup-related questions to answer. Unlocking more out of Shakir is going to go a long way, right? A long way towards exploiting teams that choose to leave their safeties back and force the Bills to play small ball, knowing that you have not only a running back that can catch and run, but they also have this wide receiver who, if you let him let him get going, he has 4-4 speed. He will run in a straight line straight into contact, And he's got contact balance. That's a dangerous combination. We also got to see that wide receiver John Brown still has all the smoke. 
like, and I think that more impressive than the speed to get behind the cornerbacks and stay there is that he had instant recognition and communication with Josh Allen. That's yeah. why Allen was adamant, get me John Brown. He had that backyard football point and go. Again, it's this this touchdown is coming towards our seats, Chris. And I immediately start laughing before the ball is even thrown. Because you see Josh, you watch the play and you watch Brown kind of drift across the back of the secondary and they don't even know he's there. No one's paying attention to him. Josh, because their eyes are all focused on Josh rolling out. Because they're like, well, if he comes up the sideline, I got to crash. And he starts doing this, Chris. He's like, fucking go. Push it. Because he's trying to tell him, listen, these dickheads are looking at me. Go. Get behind him, and I'll put it out there. But I want to ask you a question. Who do you trust on this roster right now to make that play? In terms of having the instincts to not only pay attention to your quarterback's body language and just be immediately on the same page with him, but also to track a ball over your shoulder and lay out for it into the end zone. Ooh, John Brown, because that kid's going to be a star at that some point. That kid is going to be a star. Fucking Skip Bayless. <laughs> what a dickhead. And then, well, here's the thing. Here's the disrespect. First of all, they show a picture of Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, I saw that. I was in, uh, When John Brown scores? Yep. And then Skip Bayless comes out and goes, this kid, John Brown, he could be a star. Um, He's 32, dude. He's, he's not 32. a kid. Uh, he actually spent a whole season as the Bills' leading receiver. Um, I don't know about was going to be, like, he would. he was. He was a star. He still could be. Tell me this, Chris. Who else do you trust to make that play? I don't think Gabe Davis has Um, that sudden recognition and speed combination. He doesn't have the speed. I don't think Shakir has the recognition to just know what his quarterback needs and to put his arms out. Like, to know, like, hey, I have to be running, but also I have to have my hands already ready for the basket catch. Like, this is what a veteran presence does for you. That's why I keep thinking, I look at the speed of Shakir, I look at the speed of John Brown, and I go, those additions could pave the way for us seeing more Gabe Davis in the slot. I think cover one, put out the stat, in his previous seasons he saw 30% of his snaps from the slot, where all of his productions come from over the course of his career. This year we've only used him there like 5% of the time. I think that's a mistake. And I think that John Brown and Khalil Shakir making themselves more available to Josh Allen and more available in the eyes of this offensive coordinator will go a long way towards us being able to rotate Gabe Davis back into a place in the field where he's been consistently impactful over the course of his three-year career. I mean, Chris, the guy went three for ten. Three for ten! He's clearly meant to be a focal point of this offense, but he's not lined up in places that are doing him a service, if you will. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just I just feel like the emergence of those two guys could open up something we already know can work. Also, Dean Marlowe makes his debut. 
How many times have I gotten drunk and just yelled about the fact that Dean Marlowe has... Like, why the fuck did we trade for a guy? Trade for a guy, right? Well, we watch our secondary struggle from Elam to Jaquan Johnson, even Damar Hamlin before he got hurt. Throughout that process, huge contingent of Bills fans demanding, pounding the table, wanting to know why the hell our team would have traded away a future draft pick. I mean, it's a seventh rounder. Chris, no one's that mad about a seventh rounder, are they? Mm, I don't know. I, well, closest thing I can think of was, what was Milano, a fifth? Fifth. And you called it a throwaway pick? I did. <laughs> called it a throwaway pick. You gave away a seventh rounder for a guy that, like, they to know that you gave up an asset for something in Dean Marlowe that you were never going to let see the field compared to just signing some guy off the street for free, it felt stupid. We all finally got our wish. The team opted to start Dean Marlowe for the first time ever since he got here, and the results were pretty okay. Like, okay. He played 100% of the defensive snaps. Got used both in coverage and versus the run and designed concepts. They used him interchangeably with Poyer. He gave up just two yards after the catch. 31 total yards on two completions allowed. That's not a terrible day for a guy who got here halfway through the season and has never seen the field until now. Would you agree with me that that's okay? That's what you want or expect out of a depth player. Yeah. It's almost like they traded for him because they knew they could come this time of year. They couldn't trust Jaquan Johnson. Is that fair of me to say? That is fair. And I mean, it wasn't all roses. Some of the breakdowns and passing off coverage I was talking about. A few of those were his. And I suppose that that is to be expected for his first game out there on the field with those guys in coverage. Ultimately, his unspectacular but steady play makes me feel a lot better about our safety situation, specifically in light of the recent Micah Hyde news. Chris, Micah Hyde back for a potential matchup with the Bengals? That would be awesome. With Dean Marlowe as depth, if you want to rotate in a third. Remember when this defense was at its best? Sean McDermott was mixing in a third safety. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. If he could get back to that, if only. And then old Trey showed up. Now, this is kind of a cop-out because he's not a new face, but he's like he's not exactly new. But when Trey White came back in the middle of the season, it was kind of understood that we were only halfway home in terms of having him back, quote-unquote. And that it was going to take some time to see the fruits of that recovery. Sunday might have been the best game and the most like his old self he's looked in a long, long time. Eric Turner from Cover One has some great breakdowns of reps that show his foot down and like foot down, foot in the ground instincts. I understand off the snap where I need to be, where I want to be, what I'm like his his footwork and his instincts look to finally be in sync. His mirroring abilities were on display. And on that interception, he showed a great feel for how to mirror the wide receiver and kind of guard while also simultaneously tracking the ball in the air. So the second he knows, like, hey, I've I've got this guy. He's never going to get to the ball. Fuck it, I'm going up for it. 
He snags his first interception of the year. The emergence of all of these guys just in time for the playoffs, like they're going to be looked to to be a real difference maker as the schedule gets more different. And the game changes from counting wins and losses to win or go home. And if they can all continue finding ways to contribute and then grow those contributions, our staff will not only have at their disposal more, just more options, more pivots within those game plans, better game plans, but also more depth that they can just trust. Is Because football is a war of attrition. More depth that they know that they can rely on in a pinch. Because, Chris, now it's just a race to see who can win four football games. Yeah. You need all hands on deck. It's nice to know that these guys who have seemingly been here for weeks without really showing us anything in this one game kind of put it all on tape. John Brown, he's like, hey, I don't need a ton of snaps. You don't even have to design plays for me. Put me out there. I can be a threat. And I and if the defense allows it, I can make some magic for you. Because I clearly have some chemistry still with the quarterback. Dean Marlowe goes, hey, I can backstop your defense. And I won't be a glaring liability. Trey White says, hey, I'm still here, motherfuckers. And I'm only getting better. But there's one guy, one new face. I said I wasn't going to take a lot away from him because I want to give him the hero ball. That leads us to this week's Hero and Zero, and the hero of the game is running back Naheem Himes. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. Love to see it. Two kick returns. Chris, it's like I said, I'm not trying to steal this guy's thunder. He was the fucking man for Buffalo on Sunday. I think it was like halfway through the third quarter, he had more yards than our offense. 197 to 154. Those are the numbers. I remember seeing the I, I got the graphic on TV. He had more kick return yards than we had offensive yards. And that's after the second kick return touchdown. Like, I... I don't know. Like, he made the plays. Like, no matter how smooth that touchdown pass to Knox. Like, it was nice work by Allen. Allen comes out there. He looks off one defender. Then he fakes, and it draws another defender away. And then he just rifles it into Knox, who's now open in the back of the end zone. Or that bomb to Diggs in the face of, like, like, hey, this is pressure. It didn't get home. Fuck it. Toss it up. Naheem Himes, Himes, I can't, I can't get it right. Naheem Himes, can you say that five times fast? Naheem Himes, Naheem Himes, Naheem Himes. So slow. Naheem Himes. My brain don't work that fast, dude. (laughs) Naheem Himes. Neither does mine. I guess it's one of these things. Like, on a day when the Patriots offense outscored the Bills offense by two points, it's nice to know you got somebody who can still put everyone on their back. This dude, like, he made the plays that will be remembered, not just, like, not just, hey, this guy made a cool play and it won the game. He made plays people will be talking about maybe forever. 
Tell me that's not an iconic moment in Bill's history right there. It is. And then you think about it, to your point. At one point, he was personally outpacing the rest of the Bills' offense. That first kick return is the one that everyone's going to tell the stories about. It's the second one that stole the wind out of the sails from New England when they they had just forced a turnover, kicked a field goal to give themselves the lead, and they probably felt like they were in control. They were like, all right, things haven't gone well, but it's the third quarter and we have a lead. Nice. And Hines just comes and goes. Hines. As he runs by with the middle finger up, just, hey, looky here. <laughs> and then the third the third kick return attempt where they were so afraid of another touchdown run back that they kicked the ball out of bounds, giving the bills the ball at the 40 and setting up another touchdown drive that just put them away for good. We're getting to see him mixed in more on offense. You know, that red zone touchdown against Miami, the red zone carries against Chicago. And now he's making his, his presence felt as a return man. He's blooming at the right time. We brought him in here to be a, a Swiss Army knife for this team, right? Yeah. He just put it on tape that every team needs to take notice when he's on the field as a returner. It changes the way other teams play you. Not only that, but our team has figured out how to utilize him in an offensive capacity here and there. I don't know. For a team that's going to need to get creative this NFL postseason to ensure that it can make good on Super Bowl aspirations, you love to see this from a guy like Naheem Hines. And then there's the zero of the week. And that award goes to former Buffalo Bills beat reporter Jerry Sullivan. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, obviously, we as a podcast, have torn down the fourth wall with y'all. You understand how this works. You know how we record our shows. You know the order that this happens in and where we are in terms of sobriety when these happen. And I want to be frank. I am aware of how many beers I've had and know Jerry Sullivan catching this award has nothing to do with it. Do you know what today is, Chris? It's all over Twitter. We hired McDermott six years ago. Six years ago today. Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott put pen to paper. And with the with Doug Whaley, like Doug Whaley wheeled him out in front of all the press members and sold him as the next man up to try and solve two decades of Painful football mediocrity. I get it. The signing wasn't met with an overwhelming amount of fanfare. Because at the time, you've got guys like Jason Cole of Bleacher Report, who's reporting that coaches around the league were not impressed with the Pagulas and how they handled the Rex Ryan and Doug Marone situations. And that there was other name coaches, guys like Josh McDaniels, Tom Coughlin, Jim Schwartz, who would be available, but only if you gave them control, like GM-type control, Billichecking control of the 53-man roster and the draft process. And Chris, how many franchises are willing to give that to guys who have either never been a head coach or never been a successful head coach? Not a lot. And it was also something of an 11th-hour move. 
Were you part of the group that genuinely believed Anthony Lynn was going to be our coach? No. Why? Why not? Was it just because he allowed that? Because I remember how mad you, you were. weren't gonna you weren't gonna hire anybody from the Rex Ryan staff. It's but, funny because they were talking about it. Yeah, it was talked right about. up until they met Sean McDermott. I don't think it was ever a thing. Chris, you only say that because you watched him give up the most absurd kickoff for a touchdown ever. Yeah. <laughs> and you've never let that go. Chris holds against him. Go back to 2016 and watch the final game, Bills-Jets. Yeah, I where think, nobody just... Nobody I think you just, have the audio. I do. I don't, I'm I know. probably not on the tablet. I didn't have but. you pull it up. But the Jets kicked the ball off to the Bills, and no one on the field, like... Like, they just let it go like it's a punt. So the Jets pick it up in the end zone, and it's a touchdown. And I saw Chris. Was, Chris, I've never watched you get angry about a game of football before until then. Yeah, Ian Eagle. I remember Ian Eagle was on the call, and he was like, what are the Bills doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? It's football play. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever seen you get viscerally angry about the sport of football. Yeah. <laughs> So they were about to hire that guy, you know, former Bills OC who eventually went to the Chargers and is no longer an NFL head coach. But everyone thought he was a shoe in for the gig. So at the 11th hour, they sweep in and they say, Sean McDermott's the guy. And some were some of the lukewarm reception McDermott's hire got was understandable. I get it. Unheralded candidate. Didn't have the fanfare or accolades that a lot of the other names in the market did. It felt almost like he came out of left field. You know, he's a dude who showed up here with without a PR blitz, you know, riding tandem bicycles, eating fucking dog biscuits. He didn't talk about blueprints as to how he was going to build a bully. Didn't throw a lot of jargon around. He didn't talk X's and O's to make himself sound smart. He just had this quiet confidence, and he he just talked about having a process in mind for how to build an NFL, how, how, not even build, how an NFL football team should be grown, not built, and trusting that, pro, like, there's a process here, and trusting that process will lead the Buffalo Bills to prosperity. People didn't buy it, and I don't blame them. But no voice in the media was more bombastic and more retrospectively hilarious than that of Jerry Sullivan. Well, I'm not like fans. I walk in here and one of the fans said, Jigster, I kind of like the guy. I mean, you don't even know him. And oh, I kind of like the guy. Sorry, I'm the, I I'm, like I'm him, the universal. And you like do him. too. Like, I'm a universal like skeptic. Hey, I'll give you a quick, quick synopsis. 2001, my first year as the Bills full-time columnist, replacing the great Larry Felser. A 42-year-old. Defensive coordinator, rising guy with a good resume, had just lost a Super Bowl, comes in, guns blazing, everyone likes him. His name was Greg Williams. Mm -hmm. All right. So I feel like I've come full circle on this. And, you know, I don't really care about his defensive statistics, and they're already being spun more positively than they should be. It's, it's just another Bills coaching hiring that is very uninspiring. And the bigger picture is that he's walking into a bad situation with a weak general manager and a bad salary cap situation, much like Greg Williams walked into and went 3-13 and because Don had, as he would tell you, he was left with a pile of, of you know, big contracts by John, the late John Butler. 
And that would be the situation if they had done the right thing and hired another general manager instead of Doug Whaley, because he's putting McDermott's walking into a difficult situation. Nothing's better than the I don't care about defensive stats. Nothing's better than him going to that press conference and asking for using his Q and A time to ask to, about the old regime. To ask five questions about Rex Ryan and have Sean McDermott just look at him and go, "I wasn't here and I don't know that guy, so I don't know what to tell you." And then you keep asking and he keeps giving you the same answer. Look where we are today. Sean McDermott has five playoff appearances in six seasons. He's the only AFC East coach to three-peat as division champion besides Marv Levy and Bill Belichick in the last 34 years. He's outlasted Anthony Lynn, Josh McDaniels, a whole host of other quote-unquote name coaches. He's accomplished more than any drought-era Bills head coach, and he's even outlasted Jerry Sullivan himself in terms of football relevance. That's all nice. But his finest accomplishment, Chris, maybe the biggest piece of evidence that he was not only the best coaching decision the Bills could have made back in January of 2017, but that maybe he's the best to ever hold the mantle of coach within our franchise. It's the way he's handled the last week. And the way his team took the field on Sunday. It's really easy to scoff when people talk about things like, quote unquote, the process. You know, you hear some guy come through the door and go, Chris, trust the process. Yeah, you laugh <laughs> like, at it. What the fuck are you talking about, man? I've watched five to ten guys just like you fail. Or when you see a coach describe having legitimate love and respect for his players. It sounds like coach speak to hear the leader of your team talk about wanting all of his players to like not only become the best versions of themselves as like players, but also as people during their time here in Buffalo. Like I understand everyone's skepticism. It comes across like the type of drivel you get out of those chicken soup for the soul books. Those things stink. And then you see a man so concerned for the life of one of his players that he genuinely doesn't give a fuck about throwing away a bye week in the NFL playoffs. You see a guy who takes the podium and isn't afraid to show his emotions in the aftermath of something like that. Just a tragedy. And yet whose leadership never wavers in the face of what might be the most adversity any head coach. Chris, who is the last coach to have to deal with that? Can you name one? Not off the top of my head. And then you watch a collection of football players who, amid a season that's already full of challenges, heartbreaks, facing what might be one of the most horrific and just jarring and personally painful moments of their football lives. They come out of the tunnel composed, playing a brand of football that leaves you feeling like the result never in doubt, and they are visibly filled, not with, like, like there's no regret, there's no, 
There's no clouds hanging over this team. They're filled with love and excitement for each other. And you realize that not only was all of that hokey talk about the process undeniably real, but that Sean McDermott might just be the best head coach that this football team has ever or will ever have and could have ever asked for. So kick rocks, Jerry. And I ask you all to join me and raise a glass for Sean McDermott. Shawnee McDermott. Big ups to Sean McDermott. Final thoughts, Chris. Hit me with it, baby. Come on. I mean, it's playoffs. What a fucking game. What a game. Playoff time. What a game to put your stamp on, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, everyone's like, oh, well, how will the Bills come out? That's how. Fuck you. I mean, my <laughs> final thought was pretty cool that Greg Thompson predicted we'd win our last four division games. And force me to buy him a nut, yet another expensive steak dinner. And yes. the, best, the best part is, I hope he doesn't cheap out this time, that fuck. <laughs> oh, no, 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 guys. Like, I, I, I got to tell you, we went to the chop house after the last steak bet that I lost to Greg Thompson. And he's like, well, we're like, we're I, the, the waiter brings like the, the whiskey list. And we're looking at it. And he's like, well, I'll take this. And he buys something that's on like the lower third port of the part. Because it's all it's all he's stacked like, by oh, price. Oh, I'd like a I'd like a glass of Evan Williams bottled in bond. Yeah, and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know I have a job, right? Like I make money. I what what are you doing? I lost a bet. Don't take pity on me now. <laughs> I expect you to shoot top shelf where mama hides the cookies. Cause that's what I did. That's what I drank because I was like, well, listen, we're here I'm, and I'm going to suffer for it. I might as well get mine, too. Right. It is funny that it's going to come up this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. Oh, what a bastard. For me, if I was going to put a bow on this thing as we head into the playoffs. For the third straight year, the Buffalo like the Buffalo Bills ended their season with an almost wire-to-wire victory against the divisional opponent. And it's the second time during that stretch that we've bounced one of them out of the NFL postseason in the process. Now, I'll raise a glass to that, but it's not what this game was about. With their win over the Patriots, the Bills staked themselves as one of the league's more dominant units in terms of their overall strength and ability to pace a football game. Chris, can you pronounce that name of the tweet that I have in the notes? No. Try. Oh, Jesus. Sheel uh, Kapadia. Bills finished the regular season 13 and 3 with a plus 169 point differential. Tops in the AFC and second in the NFL. And you weren't going to give that a shot either? You just leave me Sh- out. Oh, to- I think he's Shile. Shile Capadia. Sal Capaccio. <laughs> Sal Capaccio. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> Their three losses came by a combined eight points. No team beat the Bills by more than a field goal this season. That's impressive, isn't it? 
Yeah, considering what it was like coming from you in the middle of the season. All the shit that you said on this show. But that's not what this game was about. Nope. With John Brown's touchdown, the Bills finished the regular season with touchdowns by 11 different players. Two more than Cincy, tied with Kansas City, showing off the versatility of a roster whose skill position players almost seem to be peaking at the right time. Even if Gabe Davis does leave a bunch of shit on the table to be desired. Like, the Buffalo Bills have once again illustrated that their offense, even with a different play caller, is incredibly multifaceted and has a multitude of functional weapons at their disposal. But that's not what this game was about. Now, this game was about a football team coming together after one of the most horrific and trying weeks of their, I don't even want to say professional careers, entire football lives. It was about catharsis, about a, about a team venting heavy hearts and proving to us as fans, to their coaches, almost certainly to themselves, that they're ready to hit the NFL postseason with full hearts, clear eyes, and just a sense of unity that even in the face of really horrific adversity remains unshaken. There were tears. We saw them. Sean McDermott, Josh Allen. There were celebrations. And most importantly, there was just this palpable, undeniable healing that took place on Sunday. From the parking lots, to the nosebleeds, down to the sidelines, even into the Bills locker room. And we get to watch it all take place this weekend. Chris, whatever comes next, Ralph Wilson Stadium is going to be raucous. It's going to be rocking. And this team is going to be focused. This team is ready. The fan base is ready. Bring on the Miami Dolphins. And God help them. Guys, I love you. I love each and every one of you who have showed up every single week over the course of the season to listen to me bloviate. But for tonight, we got to get the fuck out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. This has been your Rockpile Report. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.